Beautiful. Was that an original? Beautiful. He not only plays beautifully, he composes beautifully. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us, Gary. Well, I mentioned at the beginning of the service that Rabbi Joshua is not with us today, um, but he's fine. He's actually in Chicago as part of his doctoral study program. So he's there, and, um, and he will be back with us next Shabbat. But we have the pleasure of having somebody else from within our congregation share a message for, with us that God has prepared for him. And, um, and I'll say his name because he's up here, but I want to say a few words too. So you all know Mel Bertrand. Let's give Mel a hand. <laughs> so Mel and Elizabeth and his beautiful family have been with us for many, many years. In fact, Mel and Elizabeth were with us before they were married and had a family, right? Rabbi Murray married them. And how many years ago was that? 95. 95. So this year is... This year's your... Right, 1995. So this year's your 25th. Wow, happy anniversary this year, 25th. We'll have to do something special for that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, their kids have all grown up in the congregation. It's been wonderful. And many of you know uh, Mel as Coach Mel because he's been very involved with our kids, all the kids of the congregation over many, many years. And um, outside of Beth Emunah, Mel works for Chosen People Ministries, and he is an outreach minister with Chosen People Ministries. And he's been speaking here at the Bema many times over the years, so please join me in welcoming Mel to the Bema. Yeah, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Josh, he came in the, uh, I think it was in the late 90s, he came in, he was 20 years old, and that was when uh, Rabbi Murray had the Mentoring Institute, and uh, that was when I first got to know him, and that was kind of like our spiritual, uh, our Messianic spiritual foundation for both of us, and it was a wonderful time together. He was 20, I was a few years older than that, and... Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot of over, because we've had the same upbringing, so to speak, there's a lot of overlap in just the way uh, we see things and perceive things within the Messianic movement and the body of Messiah. And uh, what's interesting is when he first started a year and a half ago, uh, I, was with, I was in the back and I was, I was with my kids and I said, you know, hey, look, look down there. It's like the Rabbi Josh, he's got tennis shoes on. And they said... Wow, that's cool. A rabbi wears tennis shoes. I've never seen that before. So, uh, so with, in our house, uh, Rabbi Josh is kind of like dubbed the cool rabbi. And uh, so i gotta got to come up with my own shtick now, it seems like. <laughs> but uh, working on it. <laughs> working on it. Uh, by now, the, um, the holidays are over. The kids are back in school. And many of those New Year's resolutions are just barely hanging on. <laughs> and as we get back into our routine, it is, it's been on my heart to talk about relationships. And arguably, there's no other institution that is under more attack than the family. Culture, the media, and other institutions have not been helpful. 
And families are more fragmented with the increase of broken marriages, broken homes, broken lives. And as more children that grow up and come out of these experiences, they are less prepared to form healthy relationships. And few people know, fewer people know what healthy relationships are supposed to look like. And for many, it's never been properly modeled. And learning it afterwards is always so much more difficult after the fact. And if we don't learn, we'll just import that brokenness into the next relationship and the next relationship. And it seems that there's more cynicism when it comes to family. I was talking to my own mother, you know, who will be turning 90 in just a couple of months. And, and she said, families are not what they used to be. You know, it's gotten so much worse from when I was young. At least I don't have too much time to live anyway. And I just looked at her and I said, well, that's a very selfish attitude to have, mother. <laughs> it's like, what, what about me? What about your other kids and grandkids? How about your future grandkids? Just thinking ahead. You know, you need to be there for them. You provide something that no one else can provide. You have a mission to fulfill. Their relationship and the memory of you will last their whole lifetime. You are important. And even though our family upbringing influences how we act in relationships, we can learn and change. If you didn't have a good family situation, God always gives second chances. And God provides people and God provides circumstances for this. And this congregation is a place for us to learn how to be in new relationships with others that bring healing and wholeness. The congregation can act as a sort of extended family to recover what had been lost. And Bedamanah is like that. And God can take any situation you're in, and as it says in Isaiah 61.3, to give you beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise instead of despair. And you can overcome any deficiency or dysfunction you may have experienced in past relationships. And whether you're single, married, or been through a divorce, God wants to do something in you. And God brings healing, and he reveals his purposes in us as we interact with healthy people. Spiritually and emotionally, we grow better in relationship than in isolation. Okay, let me say that again. We grow better in relationship than in isolation. It's within a family dynamic of relationships that we learn best about God. Family is God's laboratory where we learn how to relate to God and others. It's where we work out our selfishnesses. It's where we learn to resolve conflicts that come up and to positively communicate to others. And this morning, I want to go more deeply into that. And the first thing to learn is to is serving or giving to others. And that's part of working out our selfishnesses. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but with humility consider others is more important than yourselves. Looking not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. We often have to 
fight off the pull to act out of our own selfish desires. And today there is a lack of serving and giving. And I'm not talking about giving money, although that's important. You know, if you're a believer, you should be, uh, you should be maintaining a biblical discipline of tithing 10% of your income to the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, it's very clear that, that if we tithe, God will rain down his blessings on us. So that may, and so many believers do not make it a spiritual discipline and don't experience that full blessings that God has for them because they haven't given their finances to the Lord. God can't deposit his blessings on a, in a closed hand. It's when we, if we can open our hands, open ourselves to God financially, and where your treasure is, there your heart is too. If we can open our finances to God, we're going to have a tendency to be able to open up other areas of our life to God. And that's where God can say, good, now I, now I can really get started. I can really work with this person. And we can do it, and there's a blessing that comes in that. And that's all, it's a whole sermon right there, but I'm talking about giving to people. Because it's, it's sometimes easier to give money than to give to people. It requires a dying to yourself. And the flesh will fight it by having a competitiveness that wants to keep score with others. And if we keep score, then there are winners and losers, right? And it's not in hopes that the other person wins, but in hopes that we win. Have you ever seen two kids trying to divide up something they both covet? Listen to this about two boys. When I was a kid, I loved chocolate pie. There was nothing I liked better than chocolate pie. And regretfully, my mother would usually make just one pie, and it would be divided seven ways. It never did go very far, leaving me lusting after more chocolate pie. And one night, when my brother and I were about eight and ten years old, mom and dad left us home alone. And as she walked out the door, she said with a grin, I made chocolate pie. After you boys finish washing the dishes, you can divide the pie and eat the whole thing. The wonder of eating half a pie was just intoxicating. It was a boy's dream come true, you know. We washed the dishes with our eyes riveted on that chocolate pie. When we dried the last dish, I rushed over to divide the prize. And since I was the elder one and obviously much more capable of determining where the middle of the pie was. <laughs> My little brother was young, but when it came to chocolate pie, he was very astute. He saw I was laying the knife a little to my advantage. And after all, I was bigger, so all things being equal, my body needed a bigger piece of pie, right? But he would have none of it. No, that's not right. Over this way a bit. So I pulled the pie away, insisting, no, you're wrong. He yelled, no, this way. But I firmly stood my ground. And I said, no, this way, plop. <laughs> Upside down on the floor went the chocolate pie. 
We both stood there looking down at this big puddle of chocolate pie on the floor, splattered everywhere. It was one of those aha moments, or a, maybe one of those oh no moments. Our opportunity for half a pie, the first time in our life, now was gone. I looked at him like he just ruined my entire life. And I said, you can have it all. And he looked at me with the same accusing glance, I don't want any pie. You can have it all. And I said, well, you dropped it. It was your fault. If you had just let me divide it up. And he retorted, it was your fault because you were cheating, trying to get a bigger portion. Marriage and family are kind of like chocolate pie. It's good, but it sometimes ends up splattering on the floor. Each of us can see what the other is not doing. Seeing the lack in ourselves is not so easy. We just want that pie no matter what it takes. And whatever that pie symbolizes in terms of what we want, we elevate that over the person. Even as adults, our conversations can be similar to that of an 8 and a 10-year-old, you know, squabbling. In relationships, we don't get our own way all the time. Yeshua gave up being God, and he came to us. Reading further in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Messiah Yeshua, who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taken on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, it's really awesome when you think about that. You know, that Yeshua gave, he served. We need to look to being teammates and not opponents. What if God called you to be in the life of an imperfect person to draw you closer to him, to help you with your own shortcomings? Be givers, not takers. The second thing to learn about relationships is to resolve conflict. The closer you are with people, the more there's going to be conflict. Where there are two people with wills of their own, there's going to be conflict. As Thanos says in the Avenger movie Endgame, I am inevitable. Okay? <laughs> conflict is inevitable. In the book of Jacob, James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives 
Fights come when selfish desires clash. And when that happens, there is a breaking that occurs in the relationship. And unless it gets resolved, it will keep breaking, and the two will grow farther and farther apart. And unless they let God come in, their hearts will just harden over time. It is better to deal with it immediately than to let it fester and to increase over time. The Oroville Dam is the nation's tallest earthen dam, which stands at 770 feet tall in northern California, 70 miles north of Sacramento. Due to heavy precipitation in February 2017, it developed cracks in its spillway. You have the, the dam, then you have like the, the, the overflow, the spillway. And what started as a crack got bigger and bigger till a big hole was gushing water. And the rushing water came with such force that it ripped a huge hole in the channel itself. In previous years, inspectors didn't patch cracks so they would be completely watertight or didn't recognize the cracks at all. One inspection looked at the spillway from afar since there had been a five-year drought and water usually doesn't flow there. It had cracks that were not properly repaired, which let the water tear through the concrete. Because of the heavy rainfall and the dam reaching a high water mark, the water burled a huge pit halfway down the spillway that flooded the whole area below. Almost 200,000 people had to be evacuated. You know, it's the... It's the little unintended, uh, attended, the little unattended cracks in a marriage or with a family member or the friend that over time can lead to something big. And if we keep putting it off, then before we know it, it can get out of control. And there's a saying, if you don't carry out the garbage, one day your house will become a dump. If you don't carry out the garbage, one day your house will become a dump. Keep your life and mind free of clutter. As Paul says, I keep a, a clear conscience. Don't let misunderstandings and hurt feelings build up and separate you from the other person. We all are going to have difficult people in our life. We need to be determined to resolve issues and be determined to have relationships with the costs that, that come with that, and to forgive. And this is a challenge, especially for men. Men are, men are emotionally very modest, okay? We're uncomfortable about talking about our feelings, and we get sensitive. It's like being naked, you know? Just, you know, just, just exposed, vulnerable. Joking is far easier to do when deal, than dealing with emotions, so you can, you can hide behind joking. You can't be, hide behind emotions. See, physically, men are very immodest. You know, we'll fight battles, we'll do physical work, but don't ask us to open up emotionally. That's a, that's a tough thing. You know, when you ask a guy, how do you feel, what, what is he, how does he usually respond? It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, fine, you know, why, why are you even asking? <laughs> you know? And, you know, 
and here's another good one. You know, you know, how was your day? Good. Okay. You know, how was you know how was work today? Good. Okay. How was how was the time with your friends? Good. <laughs> you know, we play it safe. <laughs> you know, if someone confronts us or is aggressive, we tend to not know what to do. We have areas where it's hard for us to open up emotionally. It's scary, and avoidance is the easy way out. But it's important not to stay in any kind of fear or condemnation, but to take it to God and get wisdom from another person so that you're not stuck. Conflict itself is not a problem. Conflict just says there is a problem that needs to be resolved. And it's our ability to handle conflict that will either make it or break it. And it takes a lot of work, believe me. If you're married, it takes a lot of work to be able to change yourself and to resolve conflicts. But the reward is worth it. And if it's not resolved, God will just bring back some variation of the same trial until you learn from it. Fix the cracks before the damage gets out of hand. Third thing to learn about relationships is communication, encouragement. Ask yourself, how encouraging am I when I talk to others? People like people that are givers and encouragers. As believers in the body of Messiah, we should be encouraging others. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The word unwholesome means rotten, means worthless or corrupt, just bad. You know, we should not allow unwholesome talk to come out of our mouths. And where does it come from? You know, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That rottenness that we hear is actually coming from our hearts. And Paul gives us an idea of what is in the heart just two verses later in verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness, which is resentment and being treated unfairly, just holding a grudge, and anger and rage, rage being a violent anger, just fury. Quarreling and slander, making false statements about others, along with every form of malice. And malice is intentionally trying to hurt the other person. And you can keep going with that list, but the point is that we should examine and get rid of that stuff in our hearts and choose our words carefully to edify and build up others. It's the immature person who cannot express themselves emotionally without resorting to colorful language or hitting below the belt. It's the mature person who can organize their thoughts and express them respectfully. But some people just don't care. I know with my family, whether it's a real-life situation or whether we're watching movies and somebody uses bad language, and I usually, <clears throat> whenever that comes up anyways, but I tell my kid, kids, Hey, the world may talk like that, but that is not the way we talk as believers. 
We use respectful words when we talk to people. And there are three things we should do when we're communicating with others. First is to accept people for who they are. People tend to open up when they feel they are accepted and guarded when they are not. The stronger the relationship, the more you have the right to speak into that life. And if there is no relationship there, it's going to be tough. We should strive to accept and earn the trust of others. The second thing is to believe in the person. Now, I'm not talking about enabling bad behavior. I'm talking about believing in the person. I have a neighbor who is also a teacher and a coach at our, at our children's school. And many times, you know, when my, my kids were just coming into high school, just coming into their teenage years, you know, the, the fun part of parenting. And he would say, what wonderful kids you have. He's, oh, you know, Mel, your family is so great. They're so wonderful. Your kids, I just can't believe it. They're just so wonderful. And he would say it with so much enthusiasm and, and, and confidence. It was amazing. Now, I, I didn't disagree, you know, and I didn't want him to stop. I mean, every parent likes to hear that. But at the time, you know, they were younger. They were, they were acting like, uh, well, you know, just you know, like kids, okay? And though my kids were good, you know, I, I sometimes, I knew my kids were good, but I, I was just thinking, what does this person see? And being a teacher of 30 years, he saw thousands of students come and go. He was able to see the heart of my children. I was probably looking at the day-to-day behaviors. I'm probably more focused on that. And it took me a little while longer to see the big picture. But I learned something. It is so powerful to say encouraging words. And, I, and because of that, I even pray for opportunities to be able to say encouraging words to bless other people. And I'm not, I'm not talking about red-appling somebody, you know. I'm talking about seeing something that's true and just letting them know. And just say, hey, I see this. You know, this is just amazing what I see in you. You know, people... People need to know that good stuff. And it's, it's a real joy to do and, and see people's reaction to that. You know, there are times we need to confront and correct people, but to still believe the best in that person. To see them as God sees them. Kids rise to the genuine expectations you have for them, okay? Not, un, not unrealistic expectations, not overbearing expectations, but genuine expectations that you have for them that are achievable. You know, it's saying that, hey, you can do something special. And I don't think there's too much difference with adults with that. People need encouragement. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives. And we can get so deceived and say horrible things to people in a fit of emotion. And it's so important to believe in people 
and to encourage them. The third thing is to ask God how to communicate love to others. And that, that can be very different for, for every person. But ask God. We don't ask for the right things. Earlier we read in, in James chapter 4 that says, we do not have because we do not ask God. And when we ask, we do not receive because we ask with the wrong motives. So many times we don't understand what's in our own heart, within our, our own motives. And it takes us so long to figure it out. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? You know, we, we always want others to love us and understand us. When we should be asking uh, to love others. How often do we pray that? You know, we may never know fully what is in our hearts. We just need to be obedient to God and to love others, knowing there will be a greater spiritual reward that will come to us if we do so. In closing, as we enter into 2020, let us see with God's vision and grow in our relationships, in our marriages, with our family members, and right here with, with what God has freely given us, with this extended spiritual mishpacha. Amen? Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, Father, we thank you that you are Abba, that we are in a family where we've been accepted by you, that we have love, we have security, that you give us new, you give us an identity. And as we come to 2020, we just pray that this would be a year of growth, a year of wisdom, and a year of connecting more closely with others in relationship. And that, Lord, that you would just bring your healing to fruition just within our lives with anything that we've experienced in the past, Lord God. That you're a God that heals. You're a God that delivers. You restore the years that the locusts have destroyed and what the worm has eaten. And, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be people in relationships that would be accepting and encouraging and loving towards one another. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.